0: I can remember distinctly when Jenny and I were expecting our first. Uh, Jenny was pregnant, we're going to have a baby. At the time, we lived in a 600 square foot apartment. Actually, it was a duplex, so it was half of a house. So the whole house, if you added both sides together, would have been 1,200 square feet. It was a big house. And we got half of it. We had half of that, 600 square feet. But it was glorious because it was a two-bedroom duplex, okay? So there was a bedroom for Jenny and I, and I had my space, an office, a study, all my books out. It was glorious. And then in, in, as 1996 progressed through Christmas and all the baby gifts arrived, and of course you have to have a crib and a changing table and a baby swing and a bouncy seat and a high chair and all this other auxiliary equipment that's in bags and stuff that you have to carry around everywhere, okay? So when John Mark finally arrived onto the scene, I now had half that bedroom. He had the other half, I had half, and so we did that for a year, and then we moved. We moved into our first house, and our first house and we had three bedrooms. So guess what? Mom and dad had a bedroom, John Mark had a bedroom, and I had an office again. It was great. I put out all my books. It was my man space in the house for me that I could go and shut the door and have solitude and all those glorious things that I remembered before children came along. And then somewhere along the way, maybe a year and a half into that house, Jillian was born. And of course, she was a girl and, you know, you had the crib and the the changing table and the baby swing and the bouncy seat and the high chair and all the other stuff and gear and everything else that comes along with it. And so guess what? She got that bedroom. I got nothing. And then a few years after that, Maddie came along and we were just crowded. We stuffed her in the closet. (laughs) You don't get a room. You're child number three. You're lucky to be having food. (laughs) Okay. And Jillian would kept going, daddy, would you get Maddie out of my bedroom? (laughs) It's like, honey, you're sharing now. Sharing is fun. <laughs> Never could convince her of that. Sharing is fun. So so we moved again. We we weren't anticipating it. We were going to stay in that house till we died. And, and sure enough, you know, God opened a way, and we moved into this big house. I think we live in a big house now. And And so it has a lot of bedrooms, and there's a whole 1,000-square-foot basement in this house, 1,000-square-feet. You would think it would be, you know... If, if my home is a castle, who's the king? God's the king, but I'm the sub-king under God. A woman would say that. Men, if, if it's your castle, who's the king of your castle? That's right. You're the king. Yeah, yeah. but John Mark thinks that space is his, that basement. And I measured it. I have, but I have an office again. I do. I have an office. I measured it. Do you know how many? It's seven feet by eight feet. That's my manspace. space. It represents a total square footage footprint of 1.4% of the square footage of the home. Wow. But it's all mine, and I can shut the door. <laughs> and, and there you go. Here, here's the thing. Kids will take whatever you give them, and they will want more. Kids will take whatever you give them, and they will want more. And, and the thing is, my relationship with god is a lot like that i give god part of my life i give god something and then it's like god wants more uh when i was a teenager i was on a path i had a career all mapped out for me i was going to be a lawyer it was going to be great and then i started reading the bible and god convicted me and god was like i want you to be a pastor <clears throat> okay fine i can do that this is no problem i'll obey i'll follow and so I go and I get into school and graduate school, and that becomes a long, drawn-out process, not just one degree, but two degrees. And seminary didn't last three years. It lasted four years. Oh, four years, okay? It was a long, long time. My father-in-law, who is here today, anxiously awaited the day, I'm sure, when I would be a breadwinner once again, and, and so I got out into the workforce, and I was going to have my first pastor job, and the first pastor job I wanted was the one that was the $40,000 job, and they wanted me, and I wanted them, and it was in Pennsylvania, and I was going to be an adjunct faculty member prestigiously for Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and, <laughs> It's a prestigious school, Corey. It really is. It's in Chicago, and it has, like, accredited degree programs and smart people that work there, I think, somewhere, okay? And, and, so, and so God said, no, I want you to be a children's pastor, and, and you'll make $500 a month, which is a little less than $40,000 a year, just a little bit, okay? And then when I was middle-aged, despite having enjoyed the security and perks of being a, an executive pastor, God was like, I want you to start something new and, and so I gave up my secretary, and my office, and, and my salary, and, and, and there we go again. And so it seems like every, every time I get to these points in my life and I offer God something, God wants more. It's just weird the way it works. And, and I have this fight in my life, and I'm constantly, it's a constant battle for me to make room for God and whether it's work or schedule or facebooking or movies or life or relationships and there's this toe back and forth and God wants more. And in one sense, God's a part of all of that, my facebooking, my life, my work. But on another in another real sense, he's at the periphery unless I make room for him in the center. At Christmas time, we always bring up the story of Joseph and Mary, right? Actually, Mary always gets top billing doesn 't she it's Mary and Joseph okay, and Mary and joseph, Mary got pregnant. You know the story famous account, okay Joseph, despite his misgivings, decides to go ahead and, and, and do the marriage thing i 'll marry you anyway, even though you 're pregnant, and clearly i 'm not the husband and so uh, they felt uh, uh, they felt they became victims really of Roman bureaucracy. Rome was a vast empire had tentacles everywhere. And they had this thing where they did a census, you know, and it was for taxation and other reasons. And they made it easy for you to do. It was not like the IRS where, you know, it was very easy in Roman times just, you know, you had to travel to the place of your ancestry. So, if you were in Egypt, you know, and your place of ancestry was in, you know, Persia, you had to get on a boat, travel a month. It was great at your expense, by the way. And then when you showed up, it was so that you could pay them more taxes. It was a great system. It was I'm not, not easy at all, okay? So, Mary's pregnant. She's got to travel on a donkey for a week. Now, she didn't have to go. The only person who had to go was Joseph, it was his ancestral town. But she's pregnant they're not yet you know officially married and clearly he's not the husband and they all know that i'm imagining it was pretty uncomfortable maybe to stay back in nazareth and so yeah i'll come hun <laughs> no problem <laughs> and so the, off they go and they arrive there and and every home is full every apartment every room for rent there's no there's no place there's n- nothing this is the account in luke 2 this is how he puts it and while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room. In the end, there was no room. The Son of God was born in a stable because there was no room. I've often wondered what would have happened if Mary had told the angel when the angel appeared to her, God's going to give you a child and this is going to be miraculous, And da if she said you know, I'm, I want to pray about that. You know, I kind of, I've got this thing with Joseph, and this is going to be my life, and here's how it's going to play out, and let me, um, give me a week, I'll get back to you. Or what if, what if Joseph, despite the dream in the middle of the night, had decided, pregnant, no, uh-uh, divorce baby, we're not going to go through with this, and, and he had just gotten rid of her, cut loose, folded up that part of his life, and moved on. What if he had done that? What if the shepherds out in the fields, when the angels had appeared, had done the whole thing of, well, it's dark, and it's hard to travel at night, and, you know, we're here, we're out in the fields, and we'll go in the morning, okay? Morning, we're there, Lord, no problem. Or, or, or what if the wise men, all they had was a star? What if their response had simply been, God, this is going to be forever, it's, it's such a long journey, and the expense, I mean, holy cow, that's going to be a chunk of money right there, let's just stay home. What if none of those people had made room for God and what God wanted to do? Um, It's entirely possible that if they hadn't made room, you would read today about Rachel and Joseph or Mary and Benjamin. I mean, God might have very well picked someone else. Here's the thing about the Bible and all the people in this book. Every person that God encounters in this book has the option to say no every person that god encounters in this book has the option to say you know what thank you i've got your input it's great awesome but you know what i don't have room i don't have room i've got plans i've got my life this is what it's going to be thanks but no thanks everybody in this book had the power of veto when it came to god and what god wanted and before you dismiss me and before you go well no one would say no to God, Max. Come on. <laughs> Don't you and I do it on an ongoing basis with choices every day? I mean, you and I have said no to God in countless ways, over our short spans of life. Here's a spiritual principle that I want to draw out this morning, and it's actually found in First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter three, and then again in chapter six. And that's where we're going to be. First Corinthians chapter three this spiritual principle is articulated by paul and he articulates it in, in this letter that he writes to the church in, in corinth this is a whew, amazing group of christians there are lots of different um, ethnic groups and cultures represented uh, there's all kinds of problems and in this letter he addresses things like sexual conduct food rules marriage and divorce spiritual gifts and in 1 corinthians 3 Uh, chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 he he outlines something important and this is what he writes don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of god and that the spirit of god lives in you god will bring ruin upon anyone who ruins this temple for god's temple is holy and you christians are that temple in other words be careful corinthian christians in what you teach, and how you treat one another, because together, the very living God of the universe is living in you corporately together, okay? And then he really fleshes it out in chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. And in this context, he's talking about sexual conduct, and he says this, Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives you? In you and was given to you by God, you don't belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Paul is saying your body, your body is not just you or yours to do with as you please. If you're a Christian, if you've said yes and you've been born again, God is actually living in you in you inside of you god isn't just out there anymore god's in here and that's a very important thing to know and here's why verse 20 for god bought you with a high price so you must honor god with your body god bought you all throughout uh the letters paul makes this very important spiritual principle and the spiritual principle is this God has a right and a claim on your life. God has a right to ask you to do something, to tell you to do something, to make demands of your time. He made you. He loves you. He sent his own son to die for you. And I've, now that I'm a parent, I've got three kids, I get it in a way I didn't get it before. I love my kids. I have their best interests at heart. When I'm asking them to do things, it's not my motivation isn't to mess up their life or cause them to be in therapy for a decade. (laughs) It's because I want what's best for them. And then when they don't obey, when they are resisting me, I'm like, just get with the program. Just say yes. See, I get God. I get God in a way I didn't. But see, you have to make room for Him. You have to choose to let Him operate because god isn't going to make you do what he wants god isn't going to make you obey and god isn't going to make you love him back god won't operate that way you have to give him permission here's a question that i want to raise this morning if if in fact as paul says you are the temple of god's spirit and god is actually living in you if that's the case what's the state of your temple these days i mean how's that working uh is it empty is it ready for god or is it full of stuff is there room in your life for god and where where is there room and is it enough room and and here's your homework assignment as we enter into the christmas season all right please make room for god and this is odd okay yes make room for god with your time. I remember in my busy executive pastor days, I had a friend cajole me, cajole me, prod me, poke me. Max, you need to get away. Every, you need to take a day every week for the kind of job that you have and for what you're trying to do and and, be, and hearing from God and everything else, you need to drop everything and just go away for a day, a whole day, just to hear God. And I was like, I can't do that, I can't do that. I have too much to do. I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do Ah, fine, I'll go do that. And then boom. It's like, all of a sudden, I heard God in THX stereo, okay? And, you know, for those of you that know me, you know in the warmer months, I do. I load up my boat and I go, go off to a lake or a river somewhere. And, yes, there's a part of it that's relaxing, but the reality is I hear God with clarity. I need that. It's, it's a chance every week where I'm making room in my life, in my heart, in my soul for God to operate so where in your schedule I don't, I don't know you may not have a day a week to do this okay but where it are you going monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday and and there's no time is that really going to work for you is that really going to work for your relationship with god where where is there time where are you making room for god in your time um or with your finances in terms of generosity or here's one in terms of relationships where are you making room for God relationally? Um, and the way that works is uh, the, uh, is always woven in how we treat others. For example, God treats us better than we deserve. He extends grace to us. He sent his son to die for us. Um, you know, it's woven throughout this book. And so as you're mitigating things with your ex this Christmas on who's going to get the kids you know christmas eve and christmas day and how's that going to work and well i don't want to go to your family because and blah 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 and all that stuff are you extending grace to your ex to your mother-in-law to that family member Um, and if you're in school i'm talking about the kid on the team or the one in sixth period are you extending are you treating them better than they deserve Because really, I mean, seriously, if you map it out, they deserve to be flunked. They deserve to be told off. They deserve to be said no to. I mean, that's what they deserve. But if you're making room for God, where are you treating them, and how are you treating them better than that and better than they deserve? Um, And then um, where are you allowing God to operate in your soul and in your spirit and in your mind and help you change the way you think? Um, And where are you doing that? I've been reading through Thomas Akempe's uh, "Imitation of Christ," and and I wanted, uh, I wanted him to have the last word today. I mean, you just can't you just can't improve on this. I mean, he just nails it right on the the head when it comes to making room for God in your life. And and this is what he said: "The kingdom of God is within you," says the Lord. Turn to the Lord with your whole heart. Let Him be the most important part of your life, and your soul will find rest. If you put God first, you'll see his kingdom blossom within you. For the kingdom of God is living in peace and joy with the Holy Spirit, a thing not given to those who do not yearn for him with all their hearts. Christ will come to you and comfort you if you prepare a worthy place for him in your heart. All his glory and beauty lies within you, and he finds great delight in living there. He often visits the person who has a rich inner life, holding sweet conversation with him, granting delightful comfort, much peace, and intimate friendship. So get up. Get up, faithful soul. Prepare your heart for this bridegroom, so that he'll want to come to you and live in your heart. For he says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and we shall come to him, and we shall make our home with him. Make room for Christ, then, and place him at the center of your life." And he wrote that you know 600 years ago, but it's dead on. Um, this Christmas, this Advent season, it's really simple. I would implore you, make room for God in your heart, in your temple, in your schedule, in your relationships. Make room for God. Be a Mary, be a Joseph, be the shepherds, be the wise men, be someone who says yes. You won't regret it. See, on the flip side, on the flip side, if you fast forward and you're there and the doctor has said you have cancer or you've just suffered that heart attack and you're there in the hospital, you don't want to get to that moment and then do the rewind of your life and go, ah, why didn't I make more room for God? Dumb, dumb, dumb. Why? What? You know, now I'm going to go meet him. You know, what am I going to say, right? Jesus, help me. You know, don't don't get to that moment why why put off what you would do anyway when you're faced with the reality of what's really real and true make room for christ this christmas